Welcome to the Modern Therapist Guide to Nothing. Hey everybody, this is Dave. I'm here with my co-host Greg and we're getting ready to take you on a psychedelic ride. But before we do that, Greg, how are you doing? What's up? I'm doing great. In fact, I think that after doing all the research on this topic, I might be getting myself a couple of Grateful Dead posters and a black light and yeah. I might actually go on one of these one of these journeys. You're going to go on one of these journeys? Yeah, I think that there's a lot here that seems pretty useful. I'm just not 100% sure I'm ready for it. And we'll we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. So we're talking about psychedelics and not all psychedelics, but we'll get to that. But there's something that I found pretty interesting just with the word psychedelics, Dave. So originally the word was psychotomometic, which meant that these drugs mimic the traits of psychosis. So it's like, that's what's going on with these drugs. But it was a little too scientific. And I don't think that's completely what was going on. And whoever did come up with the new definition, it's kind of beautiful. And I I bring it up because like, think about the the way we're going to talk about this, the way we've talked about other things. Psyche, the first word, is our, our human mind or our soul, right? And delic is, it means to make clear or make visible or reveal something. So if you, add, if you add those words together, it's like what these drugs are trying to do is reveal something or make something visible inside of your subconscious that we couldn't really see without them. So it reminded me of the dream thing. So I, I thought yeah. that was pretty interesting. Holy crap. Yeah. <laughs> right? Dude, before you told me that, I didn't give a crap about what that word meant. And now... I guess slightly more than not giving a crap. Well, I just thought that it's rare that words are perfectly defined. And I I think that this is one of those rare cases that it happened. It's nice to know that thought is being put into the formation of the word. Yeah, absolutely. So like what they're talking, so you're making things visible in your brain that weren't completely there before. Right. And what does that remind you of? It's like, it's useful in interpreting the subconscious, just like we talked about with the dream episodes. And that's going to be useful for fi- figuring out the source of your, you know, your mental illness, whether yeah. it's, you know, depression. Anxiety. So it's not all just about tripping out, man. It's, it's about, not all just like, a, a fun time, but Hey, you can have a fun time while you're doing it. Why not? Yeah. As Greg just put his hat backwards. Cause he's getting ready to have a fun time. That's because so I'm here, revealing. Here we're go. not just talking about any psychedelics here. We're talking about magic mushrooms. That's right psilocybin right psilocybin psilocybin yeah it's a tough one right that is a tough one i'm gonna be honest with you it's a really intimidating looking word Mm -hmm. the first time i saw i was like oh i will never say that word out loud but then i heard people say it and i was like all right it's not really it actually sounds exactly how it looks i guess minus spelling is is a little tricky yeah so psilocybin is a naturally occurring hallucinogen that affects serotonin receptors in the brain that leads to things like altered perception, mood changes, potential spiritual and introspective experiences. Mm. These are all things that um, you would experience, I guess, during a psychedelic trip. Hallucinogens also act in other areas of the brain that regulate panic and arousal responses. 
yeah, and we'll we'll get more into like exactly what's going on in the brain. But yeah, it's essentially more than anything, it's affecting serotonin, which is that that feel good or that I guess that well being, yeah, that neurotransmitter that's associated with that yeah. emotion. When we think about depression, what's the thing everyone's always talking about? They want a boost of serotonin, right? Mm-hmm. Well, actually, no, they say boost of dopamine too, but like also yeah. serotonin, Both right? They're good. Both are good. Both are yeah. good. In, so, in but, okay but when you have that boost of serotonin, though, you you feel like everything's going to be okay. And if you're interpreting that in your subconscious, that's going to be, you know, like clarity or some maybe something yeah. to reveal to you. Like maybe you find it, you see like, oh, wow, I've got this all figured out. It, it, it's interesting how just mixing around those chemicals can lead to these like epiphanies inside your brain. I think okay. it's really cool. Great. So these you, things have been around for a little while. Yeah, like thousands of years. And did you know there's actually 180 varieties of mushrooms that contain the psilocybin? Are you going to try them all? <laughs> um, I so they they grow within South America, United States, Europe, and Mexico. I'll do. I'll try all the ones that are in the United States for now. <laughs> yeah, you're not going to travel for it. Yeah, yeah come on so, now. That so would not I mean, be safe. Though, so you say they've been around for thousands of years, and that's probably true. Do you know who the first person to do mushrooms was? uh, In America? No. I don't. Moses. Okay. (laughs) I knew you were going somewhere with that. So listen, (laughs) let's talk about the history a little bit before we get into this, because I think it's kind of important, and it's it's also pretty interesting. So you're right. Most likely mushrooms were used by ancient cultures throughout the world just because you see mushrooms on like cave paintings, and they're probably like, these are cool, or these will kill you. One of the two, because mushrooms can do both. Um, but like specifically for the purposes of how they got to America and the way we know them today, like specifically in Mexico, they were used in spiritual ceremonies and then, you know, for hundreds of years. And then the Catholic Church came along, as they do, and decided, you know, the Spanish conquistadors, they decided, um, this is kind of like devilish. It's making you go on these spiritual journeys. Yeah. So they wiped the practice out. They completely wiped it out. All right. right. So from a psychological standpoint, Greg, why would that benefit the church to do that? Not saying that there's any proof of of their rationale, I guess, or their reasoning, but just from previous topics. Why does it uh, seem I mean, to make people sense? People are getting their that? answers, their spiritual, yeah. you know, answers through another source. And it's it's making them pretty happy. Wasn't was it the Puritans that pretty much frown upon like further education? Was it the Puritans or the Amish? It was the one Puritans of those were actually pretty well educated. Maybe it was the Amish, the Amish that yeah. we did the episode on where their education kind of capped off at a certain uh, levels, basically to kind of stop you from like that, you know, further same, thinking that, that, that same that story is written over and over and over again. But, you know, mid 20th century, there's still a couple of, you know, cults, I guess you would call them that are practicing this spiritual journeys with mushrooms and this banker from JP Morgan, right? Um, R. Gordon, R. Gordon Wasson was his name. Mm-hmm. He tries it. He, cause he, his, like, he had a hobby of, you know, he was a forager and he was really into this stuff. So he hears this rumor and he's like, I got to go check this out. So he, I mean, you know, he's got that JP Morgan money. So he goes, he tries it out and he loves it. He gives it to his wife. She loves it too. And they, they connect with the guy who synthesized LSD, Albert Hoffman. And he thinks it's great too. So they are, they become a little bit famous from all this and they decide that, um, you know, they're going to write, write a couple of articles and the person who wrote the article for life magazine named this psilocybin 
Magic Mushrooms. And that's where that name comes from. Hmm. So I think that's pretty interesting. That is. What year was this? This was, I think it was like early, well, mid 1900s, like 1940, 1950. But sadly, the lady who showed them this, Maria Sabina, who she deserves an episode in her own right. Her community like really turned on her because, you know, next thing you know, Bob Dylan's coming to this little town in Mexico and all these guys and like, they're trying to like seek this out. And it, it kind of put a damper on like the spiritual private community that they had there. Yeah. And, you know, the rest is kind of history when it comes to mushrooms being in the, in the States. Yeah. And very interesting. Greg, earlier you said something along the lines of, um, not of, it can kill you. Mm. In actuality, mushrooms, there is no proof that mushrooms can actually kill people. You can't actually overdose from taking too many mushrooms. You can have a really, really bad trip. And I guess if you took like, a beyond extensive amount, like maybe we're talking about something that mm. could potentially have some really poor effects, but you can't actually die or overdose from taking just a large quantity of mushrooms. Yeah, no, I was just talking about like mushroom, eat the wrong mushroom in general. Oh, okay. In general, yeah. like you're on the wild yeah. and you're, you know, <laughs> yeah, like you just take a mushroom off the street, next thing you know, you pass away. Yeah. But I think that mushrooms, maybe a trip could kill you. And what's going to come up is, not in and of itself, but without the proper set and setting, sure, you could you could really kind of hurt yourself yeah. with yeah. with uh, with mushrooms. So, how does this thing like? What are the effects? Like, what's it like? Like, so you know, what's going on? They the effects typically occur within a half hour of mm-hmm. somebody consuming them, um, and they can last between four to six hours. Uh, some people changes in thought patterns might happen. Sensory sensory perception can last a few days. So there is a little bit of a longer term effect, like a lasting effect after you take them. It's more than just that trip for the, however long, which I mean, which I guess could be, if you're having a moment of clarity and that's long lasting, you could see how that could be useful. But if you're having a different kind of emotion. Sure. If you, yeah, I mean, it depends on your intent. Because like, if your intent is literally just to have this one experience, like you're going to take a, a typical amount of mushroom. I don't know if there's a typical amount, a normal amount of mushrooms and try to have like a hallucinogenic experience, you probably would want it to be just that and then end. Uh, but you should know that there could be some, you know, lasting effects for the next few days. If you're taking microdosing, which is what we're going to talk about in a little bit, then yeah, you kind of hope your your effects are going to last. Those desired effects you're going for. Yeah, um, it, yeah, exactly. Like you're, the microdosing. Yeah, we will talk about it. Like that idea. Like you're just getting like the just enough amount to yeah. to cause it change. So, but what psilocybin is, it's it's an agonist. Which you know, there's antagonist and agonist in medicine, and some block, you know, neurotransmitters, and some help them with their desired purpose. So agony, if you break down that word, it just kind of means to feel everything. And that's what they're doing. Like these things are getting, like we talked about in that serotonin and they're creating, they're really like working with it to create this sense of well-being. And people think, you know, what about bad trips? And I guess we could talk about that, but what, because, you know, if you're, if you're being flooded with serotonin, that the feel good, you know, neurotransmitter, how could that be bad? And I think part of it's like, you have to be willing to let go when you take these things. You have to be like, for myself personally, I would feel afraid to just kind of let go of and, and just go for the ride. You know, wouldn't you a little bit? 
This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. You know, one of the things I've been thinking about lately is how effective just talking can be. Yeah, so many of people hold on to things, Dave. We bottle them down. You know, we we feel our problems aren't big enough to need therapy. But this is the furthest thing from the truth. And I know for me, therapy allowed me to have a space to discuss things I hadn't really discussed with anyone before. That's true, Dave. And I wonder about some of those things you were talking about. It sparked my interest a little bit. <laughs> but one of the greatest benefits of therapy is having your own space and being able to express whatever it is you've been holding on to. With how convenient access is in today's day and age, there's absolutely no reason not to try therapy. Exactly. And BetterHelp is one of the most convenient ways to give it a try. It's completely online and will work around your schedule so you don't ever have to leave your house. And the best part of it, if you don't get that tingly feeling from your selected therapist, you can switch it up with no fee. Or maybe if you do get that tingly feeling, you might want to switch it up. But BetterHelp understands how important it is that you feel connected with your therapist. So get it off your chest with BetterHelp. And visit BetterHelp.com slash nothing today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash nothing. Uh, so when I did it, I didn't feel that I didn't oh, wow. think twice about it. I was a lot younger and it went pretty good during it. I wanted it to end. And then I had a, a sort of negative experience. I've only done it once. Uh, what? and it was, like I said, many years ago. So it's rather different now. So if these drugs, like this psychedelics are making clear something that's in your subconscious or Maybe that could be where bad trips come in. Like if you're if you're holding, if you have some kind of repressed memories, or if you have some past trauma. So, yeah, or there's maybe a lot of a bad person. Can... And you've convinced yourself that you're not. A lot of like, things can go into it. Could be a fleeting thought that you just allow too much space in your mind. It could be you know the headspace that you're in going into it. It could be something that happens suddenly that triggers a thought or triggers a feeling, and then that takes over. I mean, there's so many things. It is really important that if you were ever engage in doing this you do have to make sure you're in a nice calm safe headspace yeah. the setting can be important more in that like you should be somewhere comfortable you should be somewhere like depending on if if we're just doing a like a non-microdosing if you're just taking a, a larger amount of it to have that hallucinogenic, hallucinogenic trip you should take it with people you're comfortable with and you know aren't going to pull any funny stuff if they start trying to prank you then yeah that's probably not going to go well uh and you should like have as I guess a set expectation of what's going to happen during that time, as far as like, hopefully you're not going to have to go drive. You should not drive. Right. No, because there's you, heavy things that are going to be happening. Like, you know, yeah. depersonalization, derealization, you know, euphoria, hallucinations. But when we talk about hallucinations, it's not like it's creating some kind of entity or something visual, but it's kind of like manipulates things where like that, that are already there. That's what I kind of understand from it. And we'll get into like how kind of useful that could be. But I think we're, we're talking about. So uh, some of the stuff that is important for people to know is how much you're taking. Mm -hmm. And that's really tough. And like, we'll get more into some of the downfalls of um, taking it, taking mushrooms later. But one of the important things is like, have an idea of, the potency of what you're taking, if that's possible. And that really is, can vary. It can vary, vary and it's dependent on a bunch of factors. Uh, the origin, like where they came from is pretty important. Uh, the type of mushroom you're taking is important. Uh, 
I guess they say the harvest period. I don't know how many people would know that unless uh, hopefully you're getting it from somewhere uh, knowledgeable, uh, the growing conditions and whether it, if it's fresh or if it's dried. Now, mm. dried mushrooms contain 10 times higher the psilocybin than fresh mushrooms. So that's super important. You would take like a significantly smaller amount of dried mushrooms than you would of regular. So Dave, I kind of want to talk about before we get into microdosing and macrodosing, like what would be the point? Like what would be the kinds of things this treats, you know? So yeah. OCD for sure, which makes perfect sense to me because, you know, people with OCD have a, you know, there's a lack of serotonin, obviously, because SSRIs typically work pretty well. But therapy works really well. Um, you you don't feel so, like everything's going to be okay. That's not a good description of OCD. So, you know, that, that, I, that clarity, maybe that look into your subconscious is something that's huge here because- you're, when you have OCD, especially harm OCD, you're afraid about something about yourself. Do you understand? Like you're, you're afraid, you know, you're going to do something you don't want to do. You're afraid something is going to happen to your family. So maybe if you can get this glimpse into your subconscious and see that everything's okay, maybe that's part of the healing process. Obviously. When, you, when you're talking about effects, are you talking about effects that people are looking for when they're doing microdosing? Or are you talking about no, I'm right, either so or? I, as I've, I, and I know that we're going to talk about microdosing, but as I've, you know, kind of dug into this a little bit and we'll talk about it, I'm sure I'm much, I'm a much bigger fan of macrodosing than microdosing. Cause I think microdosing kind of is like the status quo of what we do with medicine anyway. You know, it's like just a little bit, just to kind of, it, it almost seems like a, a regular antidepressant okay. that you're taking, you know? So before we do that, let's get into what both of those are because people are, okay. might, there might be people who have no idea what microdosing is and they might not know what macrodosing is. That's so, good. microdosing is, involves taking very small doses of mushrooms for what would be like a set schedule amount of time. So, it's more than just a one time experience sitting down and taking some and then having that, you know, having the effects and then just moving on from that. It might be, it might involve something like, uh, Every like twice a week, sometimes three times a week for some people. I heard one variation where it's uh, three days on, two days off pattern, which seems like a lot to me, but I, I don't know. I've never done this microdosing. Now, so, when they're microdosing, Dave, are they feeling any? Are they tripping? No. So it, when I say a small dose, like we're talking about 0.2 to 0.8 is the the largest amount I've heard for my, for microdosing grams. So this is a rather small amount and it involve it results in like minimal perceptual changes. So the goal is not to have a hallucin hallucinogenic like uh, trip. It's just to get um, significantly smaller results that allow you to still be able to function in your day. But they, it's almost like it, it feels like it uh, opens you up. Yeah, like you're getting a tiny little baby bit of serotonin instead of yeah. like the whole rush. It's more to have to work in the background is what I've heard it described. And I thought that was a great like way to phrase it because it's not supposed to be something that's like if you take a lot, it's like the forefront. It kind of you're planning your day around it. If you just take a tiny bit, you're basically able to go on your day to day tasks and it's kind of doing the work behind the scenes while you're doing your main functioning. Okay. Yeah. So it's just like a little tool in your toolbox, almost like the same way you would use medication. Absolutely. It sounds very similar, but maybe a little bit more 
enhanced version of like a regular medication. Now, Greg, could you explain what macrodosing would be versus what I just described as microdosing? So macrodosing in, and I'll talk about it in a professional setting as opposed to just like hanging out with your friends, eating a bunch of mushrooms, but macrodosing would be where you would do this psychedelic therapy where there would be a therapist to sort of guide you like almost in this shamanistic way with music and, you know, just kind of helping you through the journey. But you take a lot, you take a pretty significant dose of psilocybin. And there's this study that I actually read the study and the, you know, Dr. Robin Carhart wrote a paper and he's the head of the center for psychedelic research in London. So this is, this is no slug. He, he did a study of psilocybin versus Lexapro and two sessions of therapy with a heavy dose of psilocybin guiding and, you know, taking you through this and having these like huge experiences what had like profound, huge results and were much more useful than all the Lexapro for like months and months of Lexapro, two sessions. So what kind of it makes me think is why aren't we focusing on this a lot more? Like how is it happening that we are really leaning on antidepressants and more traditional medicine when this stuff is like clearly working? And then I was thinking to myself, well, you use it twice and then you're essentially cured. I mean, where's the money in that? Is that, is that cynical of me or what do you think? No, I think that's actually really uh, thinking realistically. And actually, I, that that thought didn't dawn on me. I was thinking more of they just haven't figured out a long-term effects, probably. Um, there hasn't been enough studies on it. But also, they haven't figured out how to monetize on it the best. So, yeah, no. I, and, and it's really, actually, the, the more I dug into this, it's really interesting. And I heard a couple of accounts of people. I don't know if you want me to tell you that now or later. But with the, their experience with macrodosing. Okay. So, so this is great for terminally ill people, you know, because we've talked about like ego death and all these things. But this woman, she had been depressed her whole life and she's, you know, she's going to be dying soon. And she has this trip where she just kind of lets the waves take her. And then the Virgin Mary appears to her and tells her that the bear, the baby that she miscarried is going to be completely fine and has been living there and is is very safe. And I just thought that was really interesting and in how when she came out of it, she she didn't realize, she thought she hadn't thought about it for years and years and years. And she didn't realize that the, here's something that's been holding her back, getting in her way. And she kind of needed to interpret her subconscious. And then there was this guy with OCD who had really interesting. He he died in during his trip. Right. And he kind of just like saw himself falling with this friend of his that passed away when he was young. So they started falling together and he fell and he fell and he fell and he fell into the earth and he became a seed. And then he, he began to grow. I know this sounds crazy, but so this is the trip he's having and they're guiding him through it and it's taped and everything. And he begins to grow and he has a, he has terrible, terrible OCD. It's like holding him back from everything. And he becomes this tree. It's like this whole process and his self, his old self, his human self walks by with his family and his son and his son rips a little branch off the tree. And then he snaps back into his body and feels like, you know, he's seen, he's experienced his life in a different way. And now he, you know, 
he, when he woke up, he, he said he was essentially cured from OCD. He saw that the thoughts where they were coming from and how there was, there's nothing to them. And dude, Dave, he even goes and visits this tree. He can, he knows where the actual tree is like the him tree. So to me, I know it's so out there and it's so wild, but this guy's completely off his medication. So I don't know. There's something, there's something to it. For macro dosing, does, is there any idea of like what is considered to be a regular dose that they would utilize for that? It's so 25 milligrams. All right. Um, and, you know, who knows exactly like what that looks like in form of like mushrooms, right? Because this is, this is, and this is so you're not going to like 25 milligrams sounds like a little tiny bit of mushrooms, but you got to remember that's 25 milligrams of psilocybin. It's not 25 milligrams of mushrooms. So it's a different thing. Um, it's a lot of mushrooms. It's a good amount. Like and now con- contrast, contrast that with the 0.2 or 0.8 or 0.5 is another regularly um, common number that I'm hearing with people microdosing. That's, I mean, that's such a drastic decrease of how much you're intaking. So you can imagine if you're taking 25 grams and you're having that experience, you can imagine what I'm talking about when I say it's like you're still able to function off of microdosing because you're taking literally like 0.2, 0.3 whatever. I mean, like, and when they talk about it, a lot of it is kind of understanding and finding out what's your tolerance. So the first time you take it, you're, you know, kind of encouraged to maybe take a small dose and then see, did I feel anything? Did I feel nothing? If I felt nothing, maybe I take a little more. And then if I feel like I feel a little bit too much more than what I actually want to feel, if I'm supposed to be microdosing, I might say, well, that's my microdosing cap. And I might go with a, a smaller dosage than that. So what do you think? I mean, do you think microdosing is useful? Well, some of the some of the things that people would utilize microdosing for is focus, uh, and mood improvement, uh, just boosts of creativity, improved cognitive functioning, ra- relaxation, improved awareness. Some people kind of want to get that little connection to or the spiritual connection, uh, things like that. So those are reasons why someone might want to do it um or if you're like me and you're just like super curious about what it might be like i guess that could be another reason but what if you never feel, if it. you never feel it it's like almost to me it's like but almost what's you do point? feel it somewhat like you okay. the, from what i'm hearing you like you know it's happening okay. if, you, if you took enough you you can feel the work like some some people describe it as they like immediate like improve mood while it's happening so what, what, what would you use it for? Like, is it a depression thing? Is it an anxiety thing? Because you are getting a little bit so of focus, serotonin. enhanced mood, like okay. creativity, all those things I just mentioned would be reasons to use it. Okay. So yeah, if you're depressed, if you're anxious, like absolutely. Uh, some people, there are some studies starting to happen that it can help with reducing like smoking or addiction. There's been some individuals who feel like they don't have the need to indulge in things like coffee or cigarettes after Mike, when they're microdosing. So that's something uh, that studies are working on, but here's the, the biggest thing is there's no proof. Yeah. Yeah. There's no proof. The studies are still happening, but the other thing that's wrong with studies is, and we talked about this a little off air. It's like studies are basically intended to tell you things that you like they can't tell you things that's like no doy because mm-hmm. <laughs> like if it's like oh uh, it tells you exactly what everybody expects it's not a very great study so they're trying like the studies are 
kind of trying to show information that might be shocking or might be informative. And sometimes it might probably be more shocking that it does nothing or it's like a placebo effect. So that that trying to prove that it doesn't work feels like almost like more of the alley that some people are going. So I, I was going to say that it almost does feel like, and you mentioned this off the air too, like that it is kind of, it. there's a huge potential for pl- placebo here. Yeah. It's the microdosing. Yes, there is. There is for sure. Uh, some studies show that people who are given a placebo and under the impression that it could be psilocybin have had similar effects as the individuals taking psilocybin, which then begs the, the big question is it all placebo effect? Is it just our mind telling us that we're feeling better? I shared this thought with you because I, I heard s- some individuals talking about this and I thought it was such a, a great way to phrase it though. It's like placebos kind of placebo effect kind of represents the body's like desire to want to get better, mm-hmm. to improve. And perhaps psilocybin kind of facilitates that. So is there anything wrong with it if it's, if it's creating, if the, if the result is all positive, is there a problem with it? I, not that I know of <laughs> remains to be seen, <laughs> I guess, seen, I guess, you know, because yeah. like you said, if you're depressed and you want to get better, that's a good thing. And if you're taking something working towards that, you, I think you're going to feel better no matter if that thing's being working or not. But the reason why I like macrodosing so much is, is like, there's like huge things happening. Like whether or not it's like we were talking about with dreaming, whether or not what you're seeing is real, it's it's real to you. And and the sense you make of it is what's important. It's like revealing to you what's getting in the way of your happiness. And you are handling it that you're handling that in the moment. So you have a couple of sessions like that and you're done. But have you thought about some of the long-term effects that can come from macrodosing? Yeah. I mean, we'll talk about some of the dangers of it for sure. And I think we should do that, but, but just hear this one statistic that 40% of the people who have ever tried mushrooms that's in a professional setting or just, you know, whatever with your friends have said, it's one of the most meaningful experiences of their lives. And that's people with children. That's people who've gotten married, all these, all these things. And when you're talking about it outside of a professional setting, I mean, a lot can go wrong there, right? Set and setting is very important. So I think that the people who have done this in a controlled environment, guided by a therapist, the the, the effects of it are so seemingly useful and powerful that I think it's something that we're going to see a lot more of in the future, unless, you know, we're being cynical and just because it works, it doesn't mean it's pr- profitable and it doesn't mean that it's going to take take root because that's not what people want. People want to make money. Yeah. I don't know. I, what, I don't know. So you're right. We should talk about the dangers of it. Obviously, you know, set and setting are, are very important because why, Dave? I mean, you could. Well, I mean, but it, it, that's that's a danger. That's kind of a safe danger, too. Like, I mean, okay. obviously, if you have a bad trip, your trip's eventually going to pass. So you're going to you're not going to be like you're not going to die from a bad trip. You're just going to have a really unenjoyable experience for however many hours that is, which sucks. And like, no one wants that. Trust me. It's, it's not a good feeling, but you will survive. Yep. Some of the potential long-term, longer-term effects. uh, Well, one, another danger that I should mention, I mentioned earlier about like the different variations and uh, dose, like the strength. and that is also sort of a concern too, because it's really hard 
to be able to determine the strength of the psilocybin yeah. because there's so many different factors that go into determining the strength. And I named all those and it would be really hard for most people to, to know, engage all those. So, and then the other part of it, like the dry, like the dried mushroom, uh, part, like that's, you know, that's going to be a stronger, but then there's all the other variations that go into it as well. That could make it like one significantly stronger than just. But I think like if you, so if you had it in a pill form, you know, and it could be sort of regulated that way. I don't know why this can be something that people start having as an option. If, you know, the same thing we use, uh, you know, we still use ECT, like electro electroconvulsive therapy that we still use that or, you know, what's that other horse um, tranquilizer that sometimes gets used as a last resort. Um, can't think of the name of it right now, but the, the point is like, this should be something that people, if they're, they've been living depressed or they're, especially if they're terminally term terminally ill, I think this should be an option for these people. Like, why not? I, I, you know, it could be so such a profound experience. And if we could find a way to do it safely, I I think that'd be a good thing. But, you know, if you're, if you're manic though, there is dangers. Like if you're manic, it can obviously heighten that state. It just like any other psychedelic, it can unlock some kind of schizophrenia or psychosis. Dave, I don't know if you remember this, but when we were growing up, there was an urban legend going around that you could get stuck in a trip. Did you ever hear that? No, never. Okay. So I, I looked this up because I had heard of that and it's called hallucinogen persisting perception disorder. So it's real. That can happen, <laughs> which is just like you're, you have this psychedelic experience and you've sort of closed the door on it, but it's never fully closed. So you're sort of always like one foot in one foot out of a trip, which is kind of, um, terrifying if you ask me yeah i think i mentioned before i did work with somebody who had a psychotic episode induced by hallucinogenic substances and i'm trying to remember off the top of my head as we were talking i was trying to remember if it was mushrooms or um acid that he had done i believe it might have been mushrooms and he so was what doing do you think the, this, the setting was, of him taking that was oh he was doing it all the time he was literally doing it oh, okay. all the time and with his friends and i i think that he just had done it too much and he was really, really searching for that ego death, mm. which is something that another thing like to point out, this is kind of similar to the ayahuasca. There are some people who report like the death of their ego, which is kind of a positive imp- effect for some people. Uh, that idea that like you stop caring about all the external factors of like how people are judging you or looking at you and things like that. Um, that was something he, but he also thought he was Jesus and he ended up at a psychiatric hospital for a period of time where it continued. And it, he, yeah, he had quite the experience. It eventually but, started to dis- dissipate when I was talking to him. I could kind of see it. I could see it like him coming out of it more and more each week, which was, was, was kind of interesting. And then he ended up being a pretty normal guy and was like, I think I'm done here. All so right. that ego death, you I mean, that's super interesting, right? Because the way you're describing it, it's, you could see how that could be useful for depression, anxiety, OCD. It's, it's, well, so definitely it's almost anxiety. Like it's, yeah. I mean, for sure. Cause anxiety is all that worry about all the outside, you know, factors of what could go wrong and all that stuff or how people are going to see it or look at it or whatever it is that it is, you know, and if you can lose that fear, you become a much more chill person. Like even temporarily, right? Like, because yeah. if you lose it temporarily during a trip, you can see like, 
what is, where is all this stuff coming from that I'm just kind of base level, you know, depressed or anxious or, you know, had these thoughts about and, you know, getting a little space from that, just like mindfulness can be really helpful, I would think. A couple of health concerns uh, okay. for microdosing. Uh, psilocybin is possibility for uh, result in cardiac volupathy. I don't know if I said that right. I probably did wow. not. Or valve, valve damage. Sure. Possibly. That's a better way to go. So the liver is what metabolizes the psilocybin when it's ingested and converts the psilocybin in, into this compound, which binds to the heart serotonin. And I guess that over time, there could be some damage there. Another interesting connection is, and this isn't, this was kind of anecdotal that I heard, but then there was, I, I did hear some uh, common concerns around this tinnitus, like the ringing in the ears. Oh, yeah. So reports from people who were microdosing and already had it is that it increased. People who didn't have it pre- previously, it became, uh, it happened while they were microdosing. So there may be some connection to microdosing and tinnitus, which is. I wonder what I wonder where that would come from. Yeah, and that, that's that's enough to kind of get under your skin. Imagine your ears ringing all the time. Sure, I'm kind of a base. That sounds horrible. Yeah, that sounds horrible. Even though I like the fan on, I think that would probably be a little bit different. Yeah, it depends how strong it is, I guess. Yeah. So, uh, tell, right? Dave, something that's interesting to me about this is mu- psilocybin mushrooms, whatever however you want to say it. They're a Schedule One drug. And that's, you know, by the DEA and for something to be a schedule one drug though, it has to be addictive, which I don't think this is. And it has to have no medical use at all, which again, this isn't, this isn't that. So I don't know why I'm being such like a, like a cynic on this, but it's like, I don't know, something's, someone's holding this potential useful thing back. And, you know, if you had seen the the two people that I talked about, and I obviously I couldn't tell their I'm telling their story from memory, but it's like they were completely when you know when you see someone and they've had like an epiphany or they, you know, in session they've had like an aha moment and you're like, oh my God, that's that'll stick with them for a little while. I mean, that's what these people have are having on a level so intense that, you know, they they wave goodbye to the depression or anxiety or OCD for good. And I don't know if that you know, it's like who benefits from that? Just the regular, the normal people, not like, you know, the, the huge industries, the insurance industry, the medical industry and you know, all this. I don't know. It just, it's kind of sad. So I think over time we will start to see psilocybin uh, become legal in different states. January 1st of this year, Oregon was the first state to uh, legalize the use of psilocybin for medical treatment. I do know that there are some politicians uh, actively advocating for use of psilocybin in Rhode Island. So that might be something that we see down the road. I think that's probably going to take some time considering how long it took us to even legalize marijuana here. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I do. I do think that we will see it once the states and the government start to kind of conceptualize how they're going to monetize on it. Yep, I think that's exactly, a big factor. Yeah. I think it's all about, yeah, them figuring out how do we monetize this? So it, it, it kind of made, re- making me think of our uh, Jack of Orkian episode. I know that sounds weird, but it's like, you know, people should be able to decide at a certain point in their life, whether if they're, if they're severely depressed or terminally ill 
or they've been dealing with OCD and they've gone to therapy and they've tried every medication and they just can't get anything. They should have the option to have, to do something kind of huge because usually, usually it takes something huge to, and it takes a lot of time to completely change your outlook on life or your personality or anything like that. But mushrooms can do it, you know, in an instant and people should be afforded that opportunity. Also it grows in poop. Yes. That's interesting. Jamaica and the Bahamas, it's legal in both those places across the board. Yeah, across the board. So I don't know if, is that right? I don't know. Do you think that's the way to go across the board or do you think it's just like medically? So my big thing has always been, um, I think the more we normalize things and legalize things, the less it becomes this sinful thing that that I'm doing just because I'm told I'm not supposed to do it. So it's like when you're a kid and you're offered a cigarette or you're offered something you know you're not supposed to have, you instantly sort of want to do it because you know you're not supposed to. Yeah. Does it become something that becomes less desirable to people who are just doing it just just for that recreational use if it becomes legalized over time? I don't know. Has that happened with marijuana? I at first thought it did, and then everybody now uses marijuana, so I don't know that that had that effect that I thought it was going to have. I really yeah. was like, if we just legalize it, people will stop caring as much about it. And it's like, it, it will just kind of die down. Like the whole idea of like, you know, kids smoking and having to hide it from everyone, their parents and all that stuff. Well, I mean, um, people use marijuana for anxiety and depression too. I, and again, though, I don't I'm know more if- talking about people using it for those, yeah. just for the like, you know, recreational or more just because it's something deemed wrong to do, you know? Like the medical use, yeah, go for it. If something helps you medically, I'll never be against that. Yeah. I mean, of course, like, you know, there's factors that go into it, but I don't know. Mushrooms is a little bit different than marijuana because it's like, if you're using it, if you're misusing it, I think you could become dangerous. I don't understand any reason why microdosing would be illegal. Oh yeah, me neither. I don't understand why that would be. Because we're talking about something that has such a small impact. I, the only reason why I think maybe I could justify for a second keeping it illegal until we understand more is just more research needs to be done for long-term effects. I'm always worried about long-term effects of things that feel newer that we're experimenting with. I mean, not that it would necessarily stop me, but I, I worry about other people. So more. Dave, you're really, you're really thinking about, you know, digging in on this. Now, are you trying to, are you thinking about microdosing or are you thinking about going all in on, on a little magic? carpet ride i think microdosing sounds very interesting and uh the results that people are seeking sound really desirable and i would personally love to experience it in order to be able to tell people if whether i think it's worthwhile or not but would, would just you be, my be opinion, interested too. in you know because we obviously everyone has things they could work on but would you be interested in like so there's things about you that you've like you've had like you've talked about like social anxieties and stuff like that before right mm-hmm like what's, would you do the, the guided trip like through, and I'm, when I say guided, I don't mean like you're going to Peru. I mean, like, this is like a therapy office and you're, you know, you're guided through it like a regular session. And, you know, maybe somehow in this one sitting, you can see like outside of yourself, what it is that happened to little Dave that, you know, has caused this thing to follow you around. And then maybe you get such clarity on it. You're like, why am I? letting this hold hold me back 
all in one session, you know, like, can't you see the potential for that? So I like the idea of microdosing, or I shouldn't say that. I don't love the idea of microdosing because it just reminds me, it might as well switch out the name psilocybin with Prozac. It's the same thing to me. So I think that if you're going to use this thing for what nature intended, <laughs> I think that you got to go all in on it and, and go on the journey. And am I saying I would do it? I don't, I don't know. So I'm kind of being a hypocrite. I'm, I would be afraid. Maybe so I'm afraid you, of what's in my subconscious. I, want to see in I there. think you're afraid of situations that you wouldn't be able to control. That's exactly. Yeah, exactly. And that's what people, I so think that's, that's the what biggest I, thing. Why I question why microdosing doesn't sound more appealing to you because you very much have control, but it will open up parts of your mind that maybe could benefit from being explored more. I guess just, just because I'm not really sure it would be enough of a shakeup to make any change. And maybe that's just me not knowing enough about it or experiencing it. And I think that you're right when it comes to the macro dosing, because something maybe I left out is the most important part of it is, you know, letting go. Like that's why you're guided through the thing. And, and, you know, you wear eye coverings or like, what is it? You know, when you're going to sleep, those eye covers. Yeah. Like, that's sleep, what you wear. Sleep. Things, like yeah. a sleep mask. Yeah. So yeah. that's what, that's what you wear during the session. So it's like, you have to really just let go and go for it. And I don't know if I would be prepared to do that. You're right. Cause of the control thing, but maybe that's what keeps me, you know, tethered to OCD, like my entire life. Not that I, I feel like I don't have a handle on it now. Cause I, I do, um, but it's there, you know? So essentially you sound like you could see benefits from macro dosing for yourself, especially related to like OCD tendencies that you've been having. However, because of your fears with that yeah. inability to let go and yeah. control of the situations yeah. and just your general anxiety, uh, always kind of thinking of like what could go wrong. You think that the potential for having a bad trip sounds not great at all. And you're going to take it, take a hard pass for now, for now, for now. But the thing is, if I ever like got involved with, you know, if it ever came to the point where we were able to have an opportunity to do this with people, I would do it first before I ever, you know, did it with anyone else for sure. Um, I think that's only fair and reasonable and also responsible that, and that's a, yet another reason. Like if I were to ever, I, I've had patients, I had one patient who actually did it, who, but he only did one dose. I didn't, and I didn't follow him with him long enough to know if he ever did it again. I don't think he did. He did report. He felt good for that day that he did it, but it was like such a small dose. He's like, I don't know if I even felt it. So he did it again the next day. I think it was, or maybe he took a little bit more that day, which you're not supposed to do. Um, and he said it felt good, but then it, you know, a few days later it kind of went away, which is, you know, what I, I expect would happen. Yeah. Um, so, but like, in order to have like a conversation with someone about it, cause I do feel like we're going to hear more and more about this as we go. I kind of want to know what it feels like so I can talk to them responsibly. Yeah, but Dave, you know, the way we talk about trauma where it's like one day, this is your life, something happens. And now this is your life. That's what I'm thinking of when it comes to macrodosing for better or for worse. Right. I think it's one of those things where it's, you do this thing, something happens something powerful, something spiritual, it happens. And then you're changed forever. I think that's the part but of it. I, I see. It's so funny because like before we did this research, like I have, a, I have a few friends that have done it 
um, periodically. I have one friend in particular, though, he liked doing it every so often. And he would describe it as a reset for himself. He felt that when he did it, he, it would kind of reset. But when you say reset, what do you kind of think? Things eventually go back mm-hmm. to how they were, right? So yeah. like you started over, but eventually it's going to go back. I never heard him t- describe it as like, he's forever changed. Okay. It kind of felt like he was describing it as like, but maybe that's the element that, that's missing from that is the therapy. Maybe. You know what I mean? And th- this is you now, and this is why, like, and the, and what, how are you going to be now? Like what changes, choices are you going to make that lead you in a different path? Like you're, you're Correct. on a different path now. How do you stay on it? Yeah. It's a good point actually. Cause it was missing the guide, obviously. Yeah. Well, interesting. Okay. So you're a microdose. I'm you're a little bit microdose, and I'm a I'm a macrodose kind of guy. Yeah. Yeah. Neither one of us do it. Not yet. Okay. (laughs) All right. So we will be back next week. Thank you for listening. Maybe when you listen next week, Greg and I will be changed people. Maybe we we will have we've taken our own journeys. We'll see. But if not, then we promise to be back and just bring you normal content and nothing else like this. I think this might. I don't know. This might wrap up our psychedelic episodes. We did the ayahuasca. Now we did this. I don't know if there's another like psychedelic thing. Actually, only let, let me open that up. If if anyone has any recommendations for episodes like this, I would love to hear them because because you think that those are the only ones that have like therapeutic values. So it's like yeah. LSD. You're like I don't know. Yeah, because I mean, we could. What about ecstasy? I never hear people talk about that in the therapeutic <laughs> form. So if people know of other psychedelics that they'd like us to delve into and that could have therapeutic value, please let us know. I think that would yeah. be super interesting, actually. I kind of like started with the ayahuasca. I was dragging my feet on that research a little bit, got really into it as I was going along. And then I was like, well, no, let's do this. And I'm kind of glad we did because I learned a lot about this whole realm, which I wasn't really aware of. And I do think that this is going to be important for people to be open to, because I think that this is going to continue in the future. Yeah, for sure. This is going to be around for sure. Yeah. So, all right. Well, thank you for listening. If you could be so kind and if you made it through this whole episode and you're hearing me now, please give us a rating and review wherever you happen to listen. It's super appreciated and does help us continue to spread this podcast to the masses and that's always welcome uh so that's all we got for now talk to you next week have a great day night have a good morning yep. what's siesta 